Hi there, this is James Maynard from the Cosmic Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, our podcast is put out through Anchor FM. If you've ever wanted to have to your own podcast, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, Anchor gives you a chance to uh, put get your podcast together with all the tools in one place. And um, you can do it from your phone or a computer. And they're going to help you get distributed out to all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And so best of all, Anchor's all free. How cool, huh? Anyway, if you want to check it out, go download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Clear skies. Hello, and welcome back to The Cosmic Companion. In this week's episode of Astronomy News with The Cosmic Companion, we look at new findings concerning the physics of stars, and we look in on a newly discovered exoplanet where it rains iron. Next, we examine a new method of learning about massive ribbons of galaxies by examining humble slime molds. Finally, a group of researchers believe they may have found a method by which the intense heat of Mercury could help form ice on the innermost planet of the solar system. The behavior of plasma in stars, including the Sun, is still largely a mystery despite hundreds of years of study. One question perplexing astronomers is how much the movement of plasma in stars is affected by currents rising up from beneath the surface compared to the effects of rotation on the star. A new study of a diverse group of more than 200 stars shows convection, like bubbles in boiling water, plays a far greater role than rotation in shaping stellar activity. Astronomers recently discovered a distant exoplanet called WASP-76b continually scorched by its local star on one hemisphere, while the other half of the world is pelted with iron rain. Metals are vaporized on the hot side of the planet, and these vapors are transported to the other side of the world, where it condenses before falling as a metallic rain. This world, 390 light-years from Earth, was discovered with the Espresso instrument connected to the European Space Observatory's Very Large Telescope. Researchers at the University of California, Santa Cruz, have recently modeled massive ribbons between galaxies using a common slime mold. Networks created between the unicellular members a Fusarium polycephalum are similar to massive ribbons of gas which tie strings of galaxies together over hundreds of millions of light years. In an earlier experiment, researchers placed food in positions reminiscent of cities around Tokyo, 
and the slime mold grew into a pattern similar to the Japanese railway system. Mercury is the closest planet to the sun, and temperatures on that world can run hotter than an oven. But a new study from Georgia Tech suggests this intense heat could actually help form ice. As protons stream out of the sun, some are drawn to the surface of Mercury by the weak magnetic field of that world. These particles may hit hydroxyls, molecules of one atom each of hydrogen and oxygen, forming water. Intense heating from the sun can then drive these molecules off the surface and a fraction of these land in craters that never see light, creating deposits of water ice which persevere despite scorching temperatures. This week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, we're happy to welcome Dr. Emily Levesque of the University of Washington. She is... Um, She's headed up a new study showing how the recent dimming of the star Betelgeuse may be due to a giant dust cloud surrounding the star, and it may not be able to go, uh, may not be going supernova anytime soon. So welcome to the show, Emily. Hi. Hi, happy to have you here. So, um, Thanks tell for us, inviting you know, me. Yeah. So over the last few months, um, you know, a lot of amateur astronomers around the world who've been watching Betelgeuse slowly dimming. It's apparent even to the naked eye. Uh, and it's dimmed something like 60% in the last, since October. Um, here's a real simple question to start out with. What the heck is going on? So we didn't know what the heck was going on at first. Um, amateur and professional astronomers alike noticed that Betelgeuse was getting dimmer, and we had several potential explanations that we explored as we watched it get dimmer. We now think that the explanation for the dimming is dust produced by Betelgeuse itself that's blocking its light and making it look dimmer to us. Great. And how did you, how'd you find that dust? Was it something you theorized first and then went out to find, or was that something that just happened to show up in the spectrometers one day? So our observations actually came from the idea that there were a couple possible explanations for what Betelgeuse was doing. One idea was that it looked dimmer because the surface of the star had temporarily gotten a little bit colder. Um, the surface of a star like Betelgeuse has these big, huge kind of boiling convective cells, and those cells will drag up hot gas from deeper in the star, and then that gas will cool off and sort of fall back. So if we were just catching Betelgeuse at a particularly cold time, that could star look dimmer. Dimmer objects just emit less light, period, and the light that they do emit tends to come out at longer or redder wavelengths. So from our perspective, that could have explained Betelgeuse looking dimmer, but the only way to prove that that was the case would have been to measure Betelgeuse's temperature. So if we measured a cold temperature, that would be a good explanation. If the temperature hadn't changed much, then there were other explanations we had to explore. So that was how we started our observations or started our plan. That's fabulous. And you, um, and so what did you find when you looked at, what did you look for in the dust and um, what did you find when you looked at it? So what we did when we studied Betelgeuse, um, you probably saw all these awesome photos on Twitter of people just taking 
astrophotographs of the sky and showing how dim it looked. There was a group out of Europe that got these beautiful images of what Betelgeuse actually looked like. They can actually make it look like a little disc instead of just a dot. But what we did was measure the spectrum of the star. And what that means is that we collected the light from the star and we sorted it according to color, or as we refer to it, we sorted it according to wavelength. When we do that, we can see that the light, there might be a little light at a specific color that has been taken away from the star because atoms or molecules in the star's atmosphere will absorb that light. We can look at how much light is being absorbed by molecules in the star's atmosphere and our understanding of stellar chemistry to extrapolate from that to how cold the star's surface is. So we use data like that to estimate the star's temperature and compare it to the temperature of Betelgeuse years ago when it was behaving nice and normally and not looking really dim. Right. And, of course, you had you had the opposite problem that uh, a lot of astronomers had and that your target was too bright. Yes. <laughs> you used what you wanted to have or like, and, you know. So, um, so you had sort of a unique uh, way to look at that through titanium oxide. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so what was that able to tell you that some other um, other elements or the molecules wouldn't be able to tell you? Well, so when we use, when we looked at the star spectrum and we looked at how much light was absorbed by, like you said, titanium oxide molecules, we found that um, Betelgeuse had a temperature of about maybe um, 3,600 and 3,600 Kelvin. And back in 2004, when we'd previously observed Betelgeuse for another project, we'd measured that it had a temperature of 3,650 Kelvin. So only 50 Kelvin difference really isn't that much. And it told us that whatever was causing Betelgeuse's current dimming, it couldn't be explained by the star's temperature. It had to be something else. Mm -hmm. And that was when, based on our observations and other predictions, we hit upon the idea that this dimming was probably being caused by dust. Hmm. And how common are um, arid regions of dust like that around other stars? So some stars like Betelgeuse, so red supergiants, um, dust is actually pretty common. Um, red supergiants will pretty regularly shed off mass from their outer layers, and that mass will then condense into dust in that um, region right around the star. So we've seen other red supergiants that have tons of dust around them. We've seen signs around red supergiants that they'll sort of periodically puff off material, that that material will come off sort of asymmetrically so it doesn't just make a perfect little shell. It might Mm -hmm. block light in only one direction or another. And based on that, it seems quite likely that that's what Betelgeuse has done here. Um, There are also observations showing that Betelgeuse is, it has a dusty immediate environment and it's clearly shed mass and made dust like this before. So it's very much in line with what stars like this do. Super. And how is that dust cloud different from the dust clouds that um, form planets and asteroids uh, after they coalesce in a planetary disk? It's a good question. So, we talk about dust in astronomy a lot of times. We're talking about the dust that's just scattered throughout interstellar space. And those are tiny little dust grains that we mainly see because of what that dust does to light. 
Um, if we observe an object that's really far away and there's a lot of interstellar dust between us and that object, the dust will absorb blue light but let red light through. So it makes things mm -hmm. look redder than they are. The kind of dust that a red supergiant makes is a little different. The grains of dust are a little bit bigger. So it means that the dust absorbs red and blue light pretty evenly. And hmm. we think that is very much in line with what we observed from Betelgeuse. Now, that dust will sort of dissipate and drift apart and drift away from the star and potentially dissociate into smaller grains of dust. And this dust will still go drifting through the interstellar medium and potentially wind up in a dust cloud that forms new stars or planets. But at this point in time, the dust mostly stands out because it's a little big and it acts a little more like just sort of a gray sheen in front of a star as opposed to dust that absorbs more blue light than red. Wow. That's really, really interesting. So um, here's, here's, a, here's a big you know, big question on everyone's mind. If um, Beetlejuice isn't going to explode, you know, next Thursday, um, when, how long do you think we have until, until we see, we see Beetlejuice blow its top? <laughs> um, it's a good question and it's obviously something everybody wondered when we saw Betelgeuse behaving strangely. Um, since Betelgeuse is a red giant, we know that that means it's a very massive star that's later on in its lifetime. So it's the sort of star that we do see die as a supernova. But, we don't have a great gauge on exactly when that will happen. Um, never observed a star and gone, oh, that star is going to explode on Thursday, or that star is going to explode in 10 years and been right. We really don't know much yet about what a star looks like right before it dies. And when I say right before, I mean days or weeks before. Um, so we don't really have a way of predicting when Betelgeuse will die. We know roughly how long stars spend in this phase of their lives. So it could die in, you know, the next 100,000 years. It could die in the next million years. It could die next week. We don't quite know what that would, what the warning signs might look like. Um, the reason that a star like this dies has to do with um, changes in the core of the star. And behavior at the core and behavior at the surface could could not necessarily be um, closely tied together. So most of us think that Betelgeuse is going to be sticking around and visible as a nice, alive star for quite a while. But it's hard to predict more closely than that just because there are still so many mysteries about these final stages of stars' lives before they produce a supernova. Super. That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Is there anything else uh, people need to know about about Betelgeuse? Um, so we do know that it's starting to get a little bit brighter now. I went out and looked up at it last night, and it's certainly yeah. looking a little better than it did about a month ago. But <laughs> I encourage everybody to keep keep looking up and keep looking at Betelgeuse and keep track of what it's doing, because even if it's not about to die as a supernova, it's a pretty interesting star. Super. Thank you very much. And that thank was you. Dr. Thank you. And that was Dr. Emily Lebeck of the University of Washington. We are happy to say that Listen Notes has selected Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion as one of their top 50 astronomy podcasts. And the show has also been named 
one of the top 15 astronomy podcasts to listen to in 2020 by the editors of Feedspot. If you enjoyed this episode of Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, please download and share the episode on YouTube or on any major podcast provider. For more details on space and astronomy news, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net.